This is William Mays of the Mays Legal Group. I'm a Michigan criminal defense attorney with over a decade and a half of experience fighting drunk driving cases. I've been in the courts, I fought the prosecutors, and I know the police officers. I know Michigan's drunk driving laws inside and out, and I'm going to share with you what I know so you don't get stopped, you don't get arrested, and you don't get burned by the system. For more information, Look at my webpage, www.michigan-drunk-driving.com or call my office, toll-free, 888-941-1122. Now on with the show. Hi, this is uh, William Mays again, and uh, today I was going to talk to you about what you should say to the police if you're stopped after you've been drinking alcoholic beverages. By way of introduction, earlier today I was looking at some videos for a client. He's scheduled for a pre-trial in a few days, and we finally got his videos, and I knew that it was going to be a, well, the case had some good legal issues, and the case had some good facts. Low BAC, elderly client being asked to perform the silly roadside tests, and uh, had good reason to believe that the officer messed up both the eye test as well as the preliminary breath test. And then, of course, I added some more legal issues to the the case. Now, all that said, I watched these videos and I listened to what this fella had to say to the police. And I got to tell you, um, you can lose a case just based upon what the client says to the police officer roadside because it's admissible in court. The jurors are allowed to see these tapes and hear what the person has to say, and it can create just a horrible, horrible case uh, for the defense. So in this particular instance, I don't want to get too specific, but in this particular instance, the client was trying to bargain with the police officer, a pretty common thing, you know, oh, can't you just take me home, please? And uh, in admission, well, I don't think I can pass your breath test. All of those things are horrible things to say. Would have never have helped the guy in a million years to get out of this case or to get out of the the charges. So that's kind of my starting point for today. Uh, along with that, I, I, I get calls all the time. Just had a call not five minutes ago. Hey, they, they didn't read me my rights. And, of course, by rights, the person means Miranda rights. They, uh, you are under arrest. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you, blah, blah, blah. I can't tell you how many times I, I've told people the police don't read you Miranda rights, okay? Miranda rights come from a United States Supreme Court case back from 1966 where they held, this is the federal courts, the highest court in the land, held that if you were going to drag a suspect in to the police station and interrogate that suspect, you had to advise that suspect of certain rights. That's all that it means, all right? It does not mean that a police officer cannot ask you questions outside the context of an arrest. And this is interesting because we recently revisited this issue in June of 2013 with the United States Supreme Court. The Fifth Amendment to the United States Constitution states that no person shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself. That's where Miranda rights come from. Now, in June 2013, an issue went before the United States Supreme Court about pre-arrest silence. 
previously, the United States Supreme Court had ruled that a person who's answering questions, who's waived those Miranda rights during the course of a custodial interrogation, if that person was answering questions and then decided, well, I don't want to answer that question, and I won't answer that question. The United States Supreme Court held in those instances that the person had to specifically cite the Fifth Amendment. And and you've probably seen this on some television shows or some movies. I exercise my right to remain silent, citing the Fifth Amendment. Or I will cite the Fifth Amendment uh, and refuse to answer that question. So you see this in the television shows and you see this in the movies, but how does it work in real life? Well, just like in the movies. The United States Supreme Court in its earlier decision said that unless a person specifically cites the Fifth Amendment, their silence in response to questions can be used by the prosecution. And that's what really counts here. We don't care what questions you answer, but what can be introduced in front of a jury, right? We don't really care what the officer can gather for his investigation. We don't care what the prosecutor might know behind the scenes. We care about what's admissible during the course of a jury trial. And what the United States Supreme Court held in that older case was that if a person decides that they will not answer a question after they've been placed under arrest and after they've waived Miranda rights, that their silence can be used against them. In June 2013, they extended this to pre-arrest interrogations or pre-arrest non-custodial Interrogations. Now, interrogations is just a, it's a fancy, I know that sounds uh, like Spanish Inquisition or something like that. Legally, interrogation simply means questions. So the police can ask a person questions before they've been arrested or after they've been arrested. And that's a triggering point for Miranda rights. If a person is in custody, meaning that they've been placed under arrest, then the police have to, presumably have to, read them Miranda rights. Now let me back up just a little bit. I'm going to go to my law school professor, Joe Grano, um, was very anti-Miranda, felt that it was a prophylactic rule that was designed to curb some prior abuses by police officers. That is, beating a person with telephone books in order to elicit a, a, a confession, Right. Miranda was a very liberal court uh, during a very liberal time period of the United States Supreme Court, and they came up with a lot of proactive rules to try and counter some of the prior abuses that the court saw. Since 1966, we've seen some very conservative swings in the United States Supreme Court, and they've tried to retract some of these prior rulings from the older, more liberal court. And Miranda is one of these things that's constantly attacked. Now, the police in Michigan uh, must read you Miranda rights if you are in custody. Unfortunately, here in Michigan, our judges don't really see a bright line for what is in custody. All right, You might have been rousted out of bed at 3 o'clock in the morning and driven to a crime scene, and a judge might very well hold and might very well be affirmed on appeal to suggest that that's not in custody, so therefore, no Miranda rights. The The argument in court goes as such. Your client has uh, made statements that incriminated him or herself. 
and the defense attorney is moving to suppress those statements because, well, Miranda rights weren't read, Your Honor. It may or may not work. That's the point, okay? It may or may not work. And so Professor Grano was really right. Miranda was really just prophylactic. And the question is, is when will it protect the defense or the defendant? And the answer is not clear because here in Michigan, judges are very, very conservative and don't view that bright line of what is in custody. So for purposes of a drunk driving arrest, you know, you're stopped by the police. It's 2.30 in the morning. You've pulled over to the side of the road and the police officer approaches the vehicle. Are you in custody at that point? Probably not. Uh, You might have heard that a person is in custody if they're not free to leave. And certainly a person who's been stopped for suspicion of drunk driving is not free to leave. But this is a temporary detention designed to determine whether or not the motorist may or may not have consumed too much alcohol such that it has affected his or her driving. So that temporary detention, well, it's it's not custodial. So Miranda rights don't apply. First question that the officers always ask, can I see your license, registration, and proof of insurance? Followed by, do you know why I stopped you? Now when they ask for the license, registration, and proof of insurance, they're asking you a question that requires no verbal response, but they're watching your actions. They're watching to see how you pull your driver's license out. Do you fumble with your wallet? Do you drop the contents of your purse onto the floor of the vehicle? That sort of thing. There's not a whole lot that can be said about whether or not you do those things. If you drop your purse on the floor of your vehicle, it's an observation that the officer can testify to. Does it mean that the person's drunk? I don't know, but it's certainly something that, when the officer describes it, amongst other things, could add up to a, uh, the totality of circumstances or a big picture. Uh, that next question, though, do you know why I stopped you? Um, oftentimes it's better to ask the officer... Why did you stop me? Put the defense or put the police officer on the defense because a lot of times they're looking for you to justify what their traffic stop was about. The next question, however, is I, I smell the odor of intoxicants or I smell the odor of an alcoholic beverage. Have you been drinking tonight? This is a question that for years I fought over. There's no good answer to that question. If you say yes, then, of course, it allows the officer to move on to the next stage of his or her investigation. If you answer no, but yet the officer can smell the odor of an alcoholic beverage on your breath or amongst your person, that means that the officer is going to conclude that you're a liar, right? Uh, and if you say yes, well, then the next question is, is, well, how much did you have to drink? What's your answer going to be? If you say two drinks... The officer will say, well, the average response from the average person who's grossly over the legal limit is two beers. And on the other hand, I lost a case on appeal one time where the client uh, was very forthright with the officer, looked at him and said, I've had approximately eight. Now, eight beers for this guy based upon his body size and mass was not an unreasonable amount for this person to have consumed before driving and put him right there around the legal limit. But the Court of Appeals looked at that and said, oh, wow, eight eight beers. Oh, that's an unreasonable amount to be drinking. Because, of course, Court of Appeals judges, they're not drunk driving defense lawyers, and they haven't 
studied the physiology of alcohol. They just think, well, everybody says two, so why would this guy say eight? Eight sounds like a lot. That's probable cause to arrest him right there. So there's no good answer here. Not until this United States Supreme Court case came down regarding pre-arrest silence. That case was Salinas versus Texas. And it was covered extensively in June uh, by various news agencies and um, whatnot. They called it the death of the Fifth Amendment. They said that you need to speak up in order to exercise your right to remain silent. And that's true. And there's a lot of criticism that could be levied on the United States Supreme Court for that decision. But in terms of Michigan law, this is a wonderful decision because pre-arrest silence has been admissible against the accused since uh, at least 1995. If an officer walked up to you before this Salinas case came down and asked you, have you been drinking tonight, sir? And your answer was silence. That would be admissible. If how much have you had to drink tonight was met with silence, that would be admissible. Now, it still is admissible if all you do is silence because, again, you have to speak up in order to remain silent. But let's say that you answer that question, Officer, with all due respect, I am going to exercise my Fifth Amendment privilege to remain silent and not answer that question. I know that that's a mouthful, right? It's especially a mouthful to remember if you're roadside after drinking with a police officer at 2.30 in the morning. But this is important. This is the only way to answer the question. Now, it doesn't stop the investigation. It doesn't get you out of the arrest. Chances are you're going to be arrested, all right? If you're not arrested, then you're probably not listening to this podcast, right? But the point is that if you say that answer, then the prosecutor cannot ask the question in front of a jury. Once you've exercised that Fifth Amendment privilege, the prosecutor cannot ask a question that would allow his witness to comment upon the accused's silence. And so that's all that we're trying to do here, is just trying to prevent that prosecutor from being able to make these types of statements. Now let's turn to some of these field sobriety tests. Uh, There's nothing implicated by the right to remain silent by submitting to physical tests, such as the horizontal gaze nystagmus, the eye test, the walk and turn, the one leg stand. But there are Fifth Amendment issues that come up when a person is asked to recite the alphabet or to count backwards. When this issue was reviewed by the United States Supreme Court some years ago, Pennsylvania versus Munez, uh, a question was posed to the motorist, what was the date of your sixth birthday? And, And think about that for just a moment. If you're listening to this right now, what was the date of your sixth birthday? It's a confusing question. It requires the accused to make a statement that is incriminating if it's answered incorrectly. That's what the United States Supreme Court held, okay? They passed on the alphabet, though, which was also conducted in connection with Mr. Munez's arrest, which is interesting. I don't know why they didn't address the alphabet, because if you mess up your alphabet, of course, that sounds incriminating too, right? But uh, they struck that sixth birthday question 
indicating that Miranda rights had to be read before that question could be asked. Now, by extension, if a person refuses to answer the alphabet, the counting backwards, or something along the lines of a sixth birthday question, by citing the Fifth Amendment, it doesn't get you out of the tests. But it does prevent the prosecutor from asking the officer a question about those tests. Because the officer's response would have to be, well, the accused then exercised his Fifth Amendment privilege to remain silent. And that's what's important here. Again, I'm exercising my Fifth Amendment privilege to remain silent and to not answer that question. At least theoretically, if these are the responses that are given to an officer roadside, the prosecutor cannot ask these questions, whether it's, uh, it, well, the prosecutor can't ans- ask these questions in front of a jury because they'll elicit the wrong answers from the officer. So what I'm encouraging my clients to do at this time is to enunciate their right to remain silent by citing the Fifth Amendment, as I've told you during this podcast here. It's important, though, that it be stated just like that. I'm exercising my Fifth Amendment privilege to remain silent and to not answer that question. So to wrap these things up, though, I, I, I just I wanted to touch lastly on when Miranda rights are read and what rights are attached to a drunk driving arrest here in Michigan. Miranda rights are almost never read. Okay, I want to dispel that right away because I get too many calls and too many questions. Hey, the cop didn't read me my Miranda rights. Miranda rights are only read after the person is placed under arrest and that officer wants to ask questions about the offense. Okay, so in the movies, you see the fella, he's chained to the table, he's behind the uh, one-way mirror, and a couple of cops move in to go interrogate him and try some crafty stuff on him on Law and Order or something like that. They have to read that person Miranda rights because that is most certainly a custodial interrogation. So Miranda rights have to be read. If the person waives those rights, then they can ask all the questions that they want. And by the way, if you're offered the opportunity where there is a time when the officers are reading you off Miranda rights, don't waive your rights. The whole process, police officers are professionally trained on how to get incriminating information from the accused. They know the right questions to ask, and they know how to loop your answers to get incriminating stuff out of you, okay? Half of the point of getting a lawyer is to slow that process down, give you time to think, give you time to recover, whereas police officers are trained to go at you fast and hard so that you don't get a chance to catch your breath, don't get a chance to collect your thoughts, and you end up making erroneous statements or bad statements. People are convicted every day of false confessions, false confessions that are elicited through these techniques that police officers use. So don't ever waive your Miranda rights. Ask for a lawyer. Okay, now now back to what we were talking about with drunk driving. If they intend to ask you incriminating questions following the arrest, they have to read you Miranda rights. Now, on the very rare occasion that this does occur where an officer probably inadvertently ask questions following the arrest, such as, well, you know, what bar were you at? How much did you have to drink or whatever? I don't know what they're asking after the fact. But those, uh, the answers to those questions, presumably a, a, a judge wouldn't have a problem 
suppressing those statements because they were asked in violation of Miranda after the person was in custody, okay? But there's already probable cause for the arrest at that point, so the judge really doesn't care if a couple of statements that were made post-arrest are suppressed by, by the court because that's still enough to, uh, to survive to go to a jury trial. The rights that are read, okay, nothing to do with Miranda rights whatsoever, nothing at all. The only rights that are read in a typical drunk driving arrest here in Michigan are chemical test rights, all right, chemical test rights. I'm going to grab my sheet here. This is what they say. I am a peace officer. You are under arrest for the offense of operating a vehicle while under the influence of an alcoholic liquor or a controlled substance or a combination of both or with a bodily alcohol content of 0.08 grams or more per 100 milliliters of blood per 210 liters of breath or per 67 milliliters of urine. I am requesting that you take a chemical test to check for alcohol and or controlled substances in your body. If you were asked to take a preliminary breath test before your arrest, you must still take the test that I am offering you. If you refuse to take this chemical test, it will not be given without a court order, but I may seek to obtain such a court order. Your refusal to take this test shall result in the suspension of your operator's or chauffeur's license and vehicle group designation or operating privilege and the addition of six points to your driving record. After taking my chemical test, you have a right to demand that a person of your own choosing administer a breath, blood, or urine test. You will be given a reasonable opportunity for such a test. You are responsible for obtaining a chemical analysis of a test sample taken by a person of your own choosing. The results of both chemical tests shall be admissible in a judicial proceeding and will be considered with other admissible evidence in determining your innocence or guilt. Will you take A, and then the officer gets to select breath test or blood test or urine test. So, those are the only rights that are uh, that are read to a person that's been placed under arrest for drunk driving. You will typically not hear Miranda rights. Uh, in response to that chemical test questionnaire, the, the chemical test rights, I uh, have a podcast out there regarding chemical test refusals and whether or not you should or should not refuse, what your options are in regards to that. Take a listen to that if you want more information regarding implied consent laws and chemical test refusals. Thanks again for listening. I hope this helped you out. Thanks for listening. This is William Mays of the Mays Legal Group. For more information, visit us online at www.michigan-drunk-driving.com or call our offices toll-free at 888-941-1122.